Welcome to July's Beatcast. I'm Francesca Broom, your host and Knowledge Exchange Manager for BBRO. This month, we catch up with growers at Beatfield 21. This was 24 mini events across four different sites. The topics ranged from Socospora and virus through to net zero and beneficials. Let's pick up now with Georgina Barrett talking to growers about irrigation and drought tolerance. Does anyone here irrigate or have option to irrigate? Yeah. So as a summary with irrigation, it can be really useful, mostly beneficial to get the crop away early. So if you're struggling, as we have most springs now with a bit of a dry start to the year, uh, irrigation can be a great use to get your crop up and established. Uh, subsequently, June, July, which when everything else wants irrigation, is the most useful time to irrigate beet. But actually, financially, it only really returns in the very, very, very driest of years. So the only time you really see a benefit is if you didn't irrigate and it was going to get that bad, which thankfully isn't too often. It's linked to that area, and this is sort of my area of specialism because I did my PhD in water use in sugar beet. Uh, it's looking at how we can manage drought better. A lot of the things you already do on farms are cultivating at the right time, drilling to depth and moisture. That's all great. That's a good starting point. But we also want to look at developing drought tolerance in the UK variety. So we're going to start with the RL. We're going to screen the RL and see if there's any differences there and at least feed that data out to you. And then in the longer term, we're working with the breeders to bring drought tolerance traits that they already have in the continent and drier countries into the UK. So as it gets drier, um, we'll have those traits available to go. And we don't want to be caught out like we were with the virus, that it gets more, you know, we're suddenly catching up. If we're doing this drought work now in the background, as we start getting drier and drier um, periods, we'll be ready to go with those genetics and those varieties come out as an option. So that's the longer term. So RL first, what we've currently got, and then specifically developing some options going forward. Speaking of options, variety choice is one of the main topics of discussion for Dr. Alistair Wright, along with virus and aphid control, of course. Here's Alistair with a quick overview of some of the grower discussions he's been involved with at Beatfield 21. One of the topics we've been discussing is variety choice and on the 2022 recommended list for the first time in a long time we have a variety with a trait against virus yellows and this is KWS's Marusha and this has partial tolerance against beet mild. So that's an exciting first step but I've also been covering off some of the work we are doing on other varieties. Uh, so we still have Project Goliath running this year with 16 entries from the breeders and that is looking at new varieties coming on board. Um, we're also screening the entire RL this year so by this winter we'll have data in your hands to help guide uh, sowing choices of your varieties on farm. We hope you'll be able to sow those that are maybe at more risk to virus yellows earlier but those that have less risk in later because they'll be able to overcome the virus more. It's worth also highlighting aphid control. So this year we've obviously seen far fewer aphids than in the past but they are still out there and the migration is currently taking place. Uh, BBRO continues to, and as we speak, we're spraying one of our sites uh, with aphicides, uh, and that will soon be assessed. So that looks at new chemistry coming on the market and how, how effective current chemistry is. These may not be long-term solutions, but to providing you with answers in the short term, uh, aphicides are still going to be an essential part of your aphid management. As Alistair said, control measures such as aphicide use are of great importance. But as we see chemical control measures depleting, what of our work on beneficial insects? 
let's return to Dr Georgina Barrett, joining her discussion on the issues of introducing beneficials on a commercial scale. George is also joined by grower Tom Clark, trial host and member of the NFU Sugar Board. So last year Tom Clark, um, on a commercial crop, had a split field and in that field and half of it he applied lacewing that go on in a buckwheat mix so they're reasonably easy to spread. Uh, we're looking at being able to put them through a grass seed spreader or a slug pellet applicator spread them through the crop as eggs. They then hatch out into larvae and then eventually moving to their winged form. Uh, alongside that as well, we've got some parasitic wasps. Um, but expanding on what Tom did last year is trying to make it a bit more scientific, so having some replication in the field. And we've got a lacewing and a wasp mix and the lacewing itself. The wasp has brought additional challenges for us. So... We spread the lacewing by hand, we split up the buckwheat based on lengths of the tram line that we did to get a reasonable rate, but the wasps came in a tiny test tube, they were hatching out, they were flying, so they weren't really practical uh, to spread in a commercial field. But also that's part of what this project is, uh, it's going to be a longer term solution and we're working with BioLine who are a horticultural insect manufacturer, so it's also trying to get them to get their heads around the fact that it's very, very different to a glass house and we need to think about things a bit differently. Um, but it's an area of work that as things change, first is we lose chemicals, but also as more incentives are coming in um, under, say, ELM and other environmental schemes is who knows in the future you might be paid to do something like this. But until we have the data to prove whether it works or not, we can't really recommend it either way. Uh, conversely, also... If this doesn't work, that's also a result in itself. And we can show whether it is a practical solution. So obviously we're getting a lot of queries at the moment. You know, we're relying too heavy on chemicals. Are you looking at alternatives? Well, yes, we are. So, George, that's great to hear how much work has been going on. And I'm really pleased that we're now joined here by Tom Clark, who's actually been able to see the work in action. So, Tom, now that we've actually put things on the, the field, you've got beneficials at work, can you see any difference to the aphid levels? No. <laughs> we are, well, we're quite lucky. We're not at a threshold yet. And our, uh, our agronomists have been checking diligently. So you've ended up with very few aphids. Are you hoping that the beneficials you're putting on will be able to overwinter? Overwinter, that would be nice. We have got grass margins all around our field so and the beetle bank through the middle. So we're doing what we can to try and encourage it. But uh, I think probably the introduction of them and the feeding of them will be doing more to build the populations than just relying on what we've got in terms of our environmental options. So when we talk about feeding, if there's very few aphids, how are you managing to keep the beneficials in the crop? Yeah, so this is the innovation for this year. The way they breed these uh, insects up in the facility, which is usually to provide uh, the insects to undercover glass houses and, and horticulture trade it is by um, breeding moths which lay eggs and then they sterilize the eggs and those are a perfect food source for breeding up these insects but we've moved that out into the field so we're actually spreading well i say we see georgina and the, and the good people at the bbro are actually out there sprinkling these sterilized moth eggs into the field uh, and uh, that will provide a food source for those beneficial insects do you have to store the moth eggs so, the, so they actually, uh, I mean, I think they're quite resilient. We were originally planning to maybe uh, spread them onto the field using a pneumatic spreader. Obviously, the volumes that we're, we're requiring haven't needed that, but the, they are quite tough and they even can be stored in the freezer. So uh, you need maybe farmers will be investing in larger chest freezers to apply these things. But no, they, they generally keep very well, unlike the live insects which you put on, which are quite delicate. 
Um, and that is a uh, if we're going to scale it up, we really need to think about how how to do that. But uh, the feeding of the of the sterilised eggs probably not as problematic as, as the actual live insects. Yeah. Yeah. So whenever you're hungry and you go to your freezer, there's always a snack ready for you. Tasty moth eggs. Yeah. yeah. Now I haven't tried them yet. Maybe they are. Maybe we should be doing that instead of growing sugar beet. Maybe they're really sweet. Yeah, I could say I hope they're not sweet. But. <laughs> and I think talking about that highlights one of the challenges is with rates. So the amount that goes on is so small, and trying to get that accurately put on across a field is a real challenge for us. So the lace wing, the eggs come mixed in with buckwheat husks. They're okay to spread. First of all, we're spreading them by hand, but we're going to have a go at putting them through the grass seed spreader or sort of a slug pellet applicator, trying to get a consistent rate going on. But the wasps presented a whole different challenge. They arrived in a tiny test tube to cover a hectare. One of the things, it's not just seeing if it works with regards to aphids, it's also the practicality side of things. And Bioline, who we're working with, are a horticultural company, so they don't have that infield practical understanding. So it's all of us working together to try and get it so it's commercially viable and practical on a field scale. And if we can't use the parasitic wasps in future, if that's a difficult one, is there other beneficial insects that you think we could be introducing? That's a difficult one. So ladybirds are a great predator of aphids. And I think this year uh, there's multiple growers I've spoken to that have seen higher ladybird numbers. Uh, and I do know that they use them commercially, but obviously they do travel and they can be hard to keep them persistently in the crop. Another thing, talk about ladybirds, it's been a challenge, but a good challenge this year, is there's been really high levels of ladybirds in the crop. So when we went to do counts um, of the insects at Tom's, we noted a lot of ladybirds. And I <laughs> then found out that lacewing are great food stuff for ladybirds so how many of the lace wing we applied actually then got gobbled up um i don't know but in, it's another learning curve isn't it if they've then fed the ladybirds and kept them in the crop then is that a benefit so there's a lot at play well we do time. know that for this year there's a few aphids in the field early on that those that did have beneficials some people find they, they left the crop in search of more food so maybe that is what we need to do to keep them in place but yeah great for you as well tom to see that there there are so few aphids this year Yes, I'd love to think that was because of the, the trial and the beneficial insects, but I think it's something we can see across across the whole region. So maybe it's not been the best year to, to try this out, and uh, wouldn't it be great if we'd all done it last year uh, when we had really high aphids and really high virus pressure? But uh, you can't really... You can't really account for that, and so I, I hope we'll be doing a, another repetition of the trial again next year and when the conditions might be different again, and uh, hopefully it won't take too many goes at this to try and get some learnings out. I think we've already learned from the first year in which is the, the change is the, uh, is the feeding and, um, and trying to make it a more scientific results-based learning so that we can find out actually if there's a yield effect, whereas before last year we were just trying to look to see if the, if the crops weren't yellow or not, whereas this year we're trying to measure it more. And, and next year I'm sure we'll be trying to get even more out of that trial as well. So as, as George has said, and as of course the BBRO's approach to everything is there's always more to learn, and that's the point of doing these trials is to, is to find out where the wrinkles are, where the bumps are, and find ways around it. Yeah, and of course it depends, you know, what dates we put on the field as well. If we can monitor the aphids and know when they're coming in the crop, then obviously we can time with that. So thank you very much for joining us, Tom. But before you go, just tell us, how is your beet crop looking this year? Small. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the other things I've done on my farm is, again, we talked about it before, Ches, is the, uh, the nurse crop of barley. 
and uh, that went on brilliantly. And then uh, it got very, very windy, and we couldn't spray it off, so it was rather large. And I have some of the smallest 12 to 14 leaf beet I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> but there we go. Again, that's another year. Yeah, and, and you've, you've sprayed off now, have you? We have, yeah, we've sprayed off. It's all died back, and yeah. uh, things have grown a lot in the last few weeks, so uh, okay. hopefully it'll catch up, Yeah, as beet can do. As it can, yeah, and we've, we've certainly, we're recording this in the... Um, Bexwell Field at uh, Beetfield 21 and we can see here the crop has really come on well in the last uh, three, four weeks so uh, great to see. Thank you very much Tom and Georgina and we'll catch up with you both soon. Thanks Jez. Thanks Jez. To hear more of our beneficials and undersown barley work check out the Our Opinions page on our website and also visit our events page for videos from the BBRO team following the Beetfield 21 events. These will be loaded shortly. So that's www.bbro.co.uk. Now, let's make one more stop at Beetfield 21 and hear from Dr Simon Byrne regarding the Beet Yield Challenge results. Clearly last year it was a massively challenging year, but as usual, the BYC gave us a fantastic window on the crops we follow. Now, those of you who are not familiar with the BYC, this is where we follow a number of commercial crops. We did about 30 last year. We follow them, we take a lot of measurements of them, and we actually compare the performance of those crops to the uh, that predicted by the growth model so we can compare actual versus potential yields now not surprisingly most crops fell long way short of their potential yields last year uh, mainly due to three factors and that was drought sacospora and virus uh, not necessarily in that order but we did learn an awful lot for some of those crops some real headline findings came out of that certainly the relationship between virus and uh, sacospora clearly where there was a higher incidence of virus we tended to see more sacospora so that's really quite an important finding and probably good news for this year because obviously we are expecting a lot less virus so I think that means the crop will be a lot less susceptible to Sarcospora as well. And did you see the virus was different across different factory areas? Definitely, I mean obviously the 30 crops across the whole area but certainly those up into the North Norfolk area and further north into the kind of Newark area with lower virus we saw lower Sarcospora as well. Last year, we mustn't forget, it was also a very dry year. Uh, and obviously, a lot of crops were affected by drought. And actually, running that model showed we probably lost 15% of yield to drought alone, even before we had Sarcospora or virus. And one of the key links there we identified was the relationship where land had been mucked uh, or cover cropped uh, and much better performance in drought conditions. And of course, where we've actually had problems with drought, that also hits the plant, so possibly making it more vulnerable for virus. I'm absolutely sure. I think there's a whole area there about, you know, plants under stress, losing some natural tolerance, natural resilience to pests and diseases. And I think that's absolutely the case. And I think that's part of what using muck on the land does. It puts a natural resistance. It sparks up the soil biology, uh, obviously reduces drought stress. Plants are much healthier and more resilient to uh, pests and diseases. And of course, normally we will be presenting the final winners. So we have a finalist from each of the factory areas and a, a champion sugar beet grower. Normally we'd be presenting that at cereals, but we're unable to do so this year. 
How are we going to announce the winners? So what we're going to do, so make sure you listen out for the next edition of Beatcast because uh, going and talking to the four finalists, we have a finalist from each of the factory area based on those growers whose crops have produced a high proportion of the potential. We're going to have a, go and have a chat to them, find out what they've done, what they've done differently, what they've learned from it as well. So that will all be in the next edition of Beatcast. So listen out for that one. And of course, there'll then be the one winner that will be crowning champion grower of the Absolutely, year. Absolutely, yeah. And from what we've seen here so far this year um, in the Beatfield 21, all the growers have been through. Certainly, I've heard lots of positives. What about you? Yeah, no, generally, growers are a lot, lot more confident in the crop this year. I think we've got to this stage. I've obviously been very diligent regarding uh, monitoring aphids, getting aphicides on where they're needed. I think the crop now is, is a great platform. If we can keep the canopy clean, these crops are going to return a very respectable yield this year. Well, thank you, Simon, and we look forward to hearing the results at the next Beatcast. If you missed out on Beatfield 21 in this year, don't worry, we will shortly be releasing a number of videos from the presenters and so you can pick up all of their topics and hear the latest news from BBRO. Uh, one special piece of news for you is that the BBRO have actually just moved office. We've not gone very far. We're now based in the Centrum building that's over on the Norwich Research Park. So from one small office over to another, um, hopefully there'll be opportunities for growers to visit us in future. So that's all for us for the July Beatcast. We hope that the weather continues to shine with a little bit of rain overnight would be super and we'll catch up with you in August. Thank you for listening.